I'm Caddy. And I'm only Caddy. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it is important that we remember the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land that you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. So this week we're continuing our foodie month of June. And I am so pleased, so excited to record with none other than Tom Zalatni, who's a veteran podcaster with over a decade experience in online media production and over a thousand individual podcast episodes under their belt. Their passion for the medium and its potential for community-driven storytelling is second only to their love of a good barbecue and I have been privy enough to witness it, and it was nice. Okay, uh, I guess third, because they also love their kids. Other hobbies include charcoal grilling, eating, talking about food, and Dungeons and Dragons. You can follow Tom on Twitter, Tom's a Latinite. Check out their podcast, No Bad Food and Natural Toonie, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. But first and foremost, please welcome Tom's a Latinite. To the pod. Pew, 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 How pew, you doing, pew. Tom? I'm good. Thank you so much, Caddy. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor and a joy to be here on the Yeah podcast. Uh, normally, I'm just your editor, but today I am very thrilled to be uh, a guest for not the first time, but the first time actually reviewing a book. So, so Tom, I, I love that you say I'm just the editor. Um, you are <laughs> the person who you know, listens all the way through the credits. And here's our little Easter eggs. You are sort of our keeper of secrets. Mm-hmm. It's true. Can I say that? I know, I know all <laughs> of the deepest, darkest throat sounds that each of you make. Oh, that's really interesting. And I, I feel really <laughs> embarrassed for some reason that you know the weird mouth sounds that come out of me That's feels like oddly intimate <laughs> <laughs> i mean it makes sense right podcasting being the 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 intimate medium that it is kind of the only thing more intimate than listening to a podcast is editing one because you really do get a sense of like how people talk all of their little mannerisms you know who says um the most often who goes before making a point the most often <laughs> you, you really get intimately acquainted with the voices of your friends so uh it's a good time well all right we'll take it (laughs) and um i guess you have to listen to your own mouth sounds this week um and i'm super excited that you're here so that we can talk about uh the music of what happens by bill koningsberg Mm -hmm. i really hope i'm pronouncing that correctly um which is the story of uh max and jordan two uh gay cis teenagers uh who run a food truck called Coco Vinny, um, you know, in, in Arizona, in the heat. And um, it's a love story, folks. And I 
dug in. Mm-hmm. Tom, how did you feel about the music of what happens? Like broad strokes, general impressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, general impressions. I um, I grew to like it a lot as I went through it. It started slow for me, um, but by the uh-huh. end of it, I was like, you know, sometimes you have to watch the first couple episodes of a sitcom before it gets good. I felt like this was the book equivalent of that, where it was like, okay, yeah, like, you know, the first couple, the first season of Parks and Rec is not good, but then you cry at the finale. This book did the same for me, but in book form. It 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 was a slow I, start, but I got there. Yep, yep, and uh, I I also had uh, some verklempt moments uh, reading this one. It was it's a it's a it's a slow. It is definitely a slow burner, um, and uh, it follows it follows the story of 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 sort of the opposites attract mm-hmm. sort of trope um but with teenage boys and i think that that from the get-go sort of hooked me yeah um you know yeah i i think that i'm right there with you that like i was ready for it to be very you know like oh one of them is a jock and one of them is a sort of emo kid and like that's going to be the whole bit of it but it was nice to see both of them throughout the book growing in their respective abilities to be emotionally intelligent in different ways right where they both like had to grow in that in order to understand each other a little bit better helped each other grow in that and then we see that kind of trickle down to the rest of their relationships um in a way that i thought was really cool because we don't see like (laughs) you know teenage boys having that kind of development that often and like I was ready for it to be, you know, one of them being emotionally intelligent and the other being a jock. And instead it was both of them being like real bad at this and very gradually learning from each other to like fill in those gaps. And I thought that was handled really well. I love, I love the way you put it. I think that's so correct. They're both so clumsy (laughs) about their feelings. Um, But I think that it's also like, it makes so much sense, right? We meet these characters. One of them is, let me just, I took some notes. Uh, So Max is uh, the athlete Mm -hmm. who is half Mexican. So obviously we know that there's going to be some, some deep feels about being, about being biracial. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's handled quite well, but He's a young guy. He's like a dude bro, you know? <laughs> and then Jordan's on the other end of the spectrum of, of I guess, mask tropes, where he's like all poetry, all lovey-dovey, and all in his feelings, but without necessarily being aware of his feelings. Like, also because his dad just died, and that's complicated, right. and... You know, he's a hyper-responsible young man who has to take care... Like... It plays into a lot of things that I've I've complained about in the past, like that, like, where are the adults sort of thing. Um, but here the adults are present. Um, it's just that poor Jordan needs to take care of the adults. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. Like, I can we can we get into it? Can we get like right into it? Do it. Cool. So a lot of the time on the show, you guys end up talking about the parents, right? the parent-child relationships. And I think that's where I'd really like to dive in on this one, uh, if that works for you, because uh, we see a real dichotomy between the two single moms in this book, uh, where Max's mom, Rosa, is wonderful and, you know, has a real warm relationship with him. And 
Jordan's mom, who I think is named Lydia, but I actually forgot to write that down and uh, might not be. Um, she is a mess and recovering from, you know, a gambling addiction and recovering from her husband's death and really not doing a very good job of doing the recovery of either of those things because she's, you know, trying to do it all herself and really, really putting a lot of that weight on her son, who is. I can't remember if they're 16 or 17, but either way, not the adult in the relationship. And uh, I think <laughs> by the end of this book, I really loved one of these moms and really, really hated the other one. And I don't think that I need to tell you which was which. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think it's pretty easy just in the way that you describe them right now to know uh, where... <laughs> <laughs> where the crumbs will fall from the proverbial cookie. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I came to play with my food analogies. We're doing it today. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think you're totally right. I think Rosa was such a nice example of a parent to a queer kid, I found. Mm-hmm. Like that, that very embracing, very supportive, um, but also has boundaries. Yeah. You know, kind of familial situation, which... I'm excited to see. I think that like Gen Xers being the adults now means that, you know, a lot of them have learned from being latchkey kids in the 80s <laughs> and are working their tails off to make sure that they don't reproduce those patterns. Whereas for, for Jordan's mom, it is that like, whew, that story was tough. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, as someone who, you know, has people who struggle with addiction in my life and stuff, it is deeply deeply well written and I found that it was challenging at times because boy do you just want to hate everyone at a certain point like there are a few times where you just want to throw the book couple like just kind of shoot it at the end of the couch and just like put it in a timeout or something you know but I think but that's good. This, I, I think yeah. that's good for like storytelling and character building purposes, right? Exactly. Could you imagine if both of them had been like exceptional moms and like yeah. you know everything is rosy? Like, there's not that much of a story to tell, and it would have turned into um, the gay Sweet Valley High, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm torn because like, yeah. So so I really wanted to. I really wanted to like both moms, right? Because I wanted Lydia to be a sympathetic character. I really, you know, when they, from the very beginning, they were painting her as someone who, like, sees herself in a really negative light, who, like, others kind of mock, and who Jordan is really the only person who puts up with her and, like, loves her unconditionally. And, you know, because they set it up like that at the beginning, I'm really, I went into it kind of invested in like, okay, this mom is a mess. Like, this is not a healthy relationship dynamic, but I really want to see her get better. And we do a little bit, right? We see, you know, she has a meltdown and decides she's going to get her shit together and starts working on that. And that made me a little nervous when it started happening, because, you know, I have watched a lot of tv and read a lot of books and i know how stories work um but i had a little hope right i was like maybe we will see this get better and then i mean you know mild spoilers for a book that came out a few years ago now but like skip 40 seconds ahead if you don't want to you know hear this she instead of you know actually getting better it turns out has radically ruined everything that this entire book has set up by gambling all the money away and then some and when Jordan decides to just cut her off, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's what you do. 
that's what you do. You have a support system now in, in Max and Rosa. Look, is it necessarily the best idea to immediately move in with your boyfriend when you're 17? Probably not. But as a temporary thing, and when his mom is rad, I think it works, you know? I, I well, don't, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think, I think you're, you're hitting on something that's really important. It's like Jordan really matures throughout the story through the story of his mom, basically, you know, mm. like he, he, he's constantly taking care of her and sort of cleaning up the mess. And then there comes a point where he has to fend for himself and the importance of community in giving him that opportunity to set those mm. boundaries mm. and really prioritize his own well-being. That for me is such an important plot point like that development and understanding that you can be cared for and you can still like he still loves his mom he still cares for her but there is there is a need for boundaries and seeing a young person be able to stand up to an adult an authoritative figure who should be the one who instills boundaries in the first place but when the roles are reversed, I think there is something deeply moving about that. Um, and that, like, I don't think it's my trauma talking. I think this is just pure empathy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I was just like, <laughs> I want, I, I wanted Jordan to be okay. That's it. And and I think the thing that I, that I really appreciated about this is like, so on the, on the other hand, right, on the other side of the coin, we have Rosa, who from the very beginning, like, seems like the more fun parent, which like initially made me go, oh, is it going to turn out to be like one of those situations where the one who seems like a mess is the better parent and the fun one is the worst parent? But no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Rosa consistently stays great throughout the whole book, even to the point where when she is pissed at Max's dad, who is not in the picture, is a comedian who's on the road all the time and clearly never, you know, had parenthood cut out for him. Um, when when she has a moment where she, like, you know, is visibly exasperated with him in front of Max, she apologizes and is like, I'm sorry, I try not to, you know, I try not to shit on your dad in front of you because, like, I, I know that that relationship is important to you. And that's such an important thing in situations where, you know, there is a split in the family for the two parents to, like, not bad talk each other, as hard as it can be sometimes when the other parent is a total tool. And for Rosa to... Uh, there, there's a quote that I wrote down where... Um, <laughs> so after Max... Uh, oh man, we really started from like the end of the book instead of the beginning. Eh? Um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We took it the way it came. Yeah. So so I'm sure we'll we'll get into this, you know, in a bit. But Max had a traumatic experience, kind of right before the story that we kind of very gradually see. He recalls a little bit more of and, you know, every few chapters we get like a little extra peek into what really happened and he starts to realize things about the truth of that situation for himself and has to come to terms with it. And after he, you know, does, he he tells his mom that he spoke to his dad about it first and that his dad gave him a really disappointing answer. And Rosa, you know, in this moment goes, well, what the fuck? <laughs> and is really mad at the dad and says, look... You can call him out on this. If you want, you can call him out on this. It's up to you and what kind of relationship you want to have with the man. But you're 17 and he let you down and you can let this go or you can say something to him. And that's up to you. And I think that the the beauty of that moment is her saying, you know, I know what I'd do in this situation because I'm pissed at your dad about it. But I understand <laughs> this is complicated. But he hurt you and know that it is not your responsibility as the child in this relationship to take care of his feelings. So if you want to yell at him about it, 
you are allowed to. You have my blessing, but do what you want. I think that that is something that we don't hear often enough is is that kids should be allowed to call their parents out on their bullshit. So I really wanted to commend Bill Konigsberg for that because I think that that moment one is beautiful and important and two kind of gives Jordan the power to do what he needs to do with his mom after and I think that just it mwah, chef's kiss you know I love this yes yes a thousand times yes and I'm super glad because it opens the door for us to talk about um just the toxic masculinity aspect of this story and I think that it's quite masterfully done, especially like, I mean, I think it's important that we talk about these things, right? Like we, we stories about stories about men are, and boys are challenging at times. And, and it's nice that this one allowed for some softness yeah. and for some agency. Um, I think that like Rosa creates the space where her son is allowed to be himself. And that opens the door for Jordan to allow himself to be himself and to make his own decision. And that's amazing. And it's also something that's, I can imagine, I am not a parent, is incredibly challenging to instill um, in, in, in the person that you're raising, you know, like making sure that they know that they're allowed to have their voice heard because my 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 experience informs me that the majority of us have not been afforded that opportunity so it's kind of like it goes against (laughs) all of the deep programming that we all have and that weird you know and it, it manifests in so many different ways right from the imposition of like having to hug people to uh not so not having a sense of bodily autonomy to uh you know practices that today are considered abusive but like you know it wasn't very long ago that like if i want your opinion i'll give it to you was a very commonly used phrase in families <laughs> you know and 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 that's just it's so important and it's well portrayed and i also was afraid that rosa was going to flip flop and end up being the bad guy i yeah. really really like i was like she's too good to be true but doesn't that say something incredible about like the expectations that we have for parents of queer kids like we're just like constantly bracing ourselves waiting for them to be horrible this is <laughs> this is the example that we've got received is that like if you're queer your parents are gonna hate you right, right? and it's yeah. so nice to have this like okay like let's do this i love you i don't like who you mash your genitals with is cool by me you know yeah yeah that's it yeah it's really nice to see like both the support side of that and the like the the challenging thing of like sometimes your parent can be like wholly supportive of you and still a shitty parent and i think Mm -hmm. that that was also really important to see right that like you can't it's not enough to be supportive of your kid and say like you can be whoever you want to be you have to also parent them right and and that was really nice to see as well because i think we don't get that nuance that often of like you know lydia is not like a homophobic mom lydia's great lydia does a, a great job as well of like you know embracing him for who he is but <laughs> she's a mess and she's not doing a good job of parenting him and like that needs to be addressed and fixed right and we don't get that very often so i thought it was really like yeah just everything about the like rosa and lydia like 
paradigm. Duality. Yeah. Duality. Yeah. I um I think the thing that I really appreciate is like. I started out reading this book expecting Max and Jordan to be the opposites who like, you know, throughout the whole course of the book, sorry, our new neighbors just moved in and are like constantly drilling at all hours of the day. And there hasn't been more than eight straight hours of silence since Sunday. Is that you banging on the ceiling? Uh, Yeah, it is. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So I went into it expecting Max and Jordan to be the characters who like, because they're an opposites attract thing, I thought they would be the ones who like were the most like polar opposite in the book. And I thought it was really interesting that it ended up being their moms who like instilled that in me at the end. And the two of them actually just kind of like dig their way toward each other in terms of like understanding each other and themselves and the people around them. I thought that was really well done. I thought so too. I thought so too. Let's talk a little bit about Max's dad. Um, Douchebag extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I mean, Tom, you and I know each other from uh, improv and comedy stuff. So um, terrible comedians, uh, like successful comedians, rather. Do you think they would make terrible parents? Not inherently. But I I think, like, I know this dude. (laughs) At the same time, you know, <laughs> like, like, I don't think that Jesus, are they ever going to stop? They're not. Uh, I, I don't think that it is like, I know a lot of really great dads who are also like comedians, but I think that this guy definitely exists. And I'm not surprised that this was the kind of like trope character that was written in. And I think that he serves as a really good foil to Rosa. So I completely get it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was so, it was such a good idea for him to be a comedian because there is such this, you know, comedies have been at the center of lots of complicated stuff uh, for the past few years. And, and this idea of like, we can't say anything, but I'm just, I'm making a joke, you know, like this gaslighty aspect of, of, of comedy that we, we see in a a certain uh, dominant group of comedians. Um, (laughs) But I think that it's, it's quite interesting when you start thinking about it, you know, to go like this idea of like, everything's just a joke. Take it easy. Don't be, don't be such a, don't be such a, don't be such a, such a delicate little flower don't be such a this it's incredible how it made perfect sense in that sort of universe for me and made me realize how much closer it can actually be to us than we think yeah and and that made me feel a little gross and i think uh i think bill conansberg that was his goal and he achieved it and i'm a little upset that he achieved it because i was like boo (laughs) oh we're trash comedians boo yeah i gotta say this book was rough for me because i i really like went into it thinking like this will be a cute rom-com set on a food truck and like there were cute moments and it was at least in part set on a food truck but man did it hit me with a whole lot of much heavier stuff that i was expecting you know i thought there would just be a lot of interpersonal drama between the two of them and then instead it was like oh yeah you know just casually like this character was sexually assaulted and i'm like oh okay all right we're going in this direction then cool 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 thanks for the warning book Yep. Yep. It's uh, it w- especially when you see the cover of the book. I find it like very misleading. I was like, oh, this is yeah. going to be very like gay boys loving each other and making out in a food truck. And then I was like, 
oh, this is quite serious. Like it's not fluff. And nope. uh, I'm, I'm grateful that it wasn't fluff, but um, I can definitely see how that, uh, that departure from the original idea would be a bit challenging perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It, it, it was definitely difficult. Like I, I mm-hmm. am glad that I started reading it a couple weeks earlier than I needed to because I had to put it down for a few days at one point and just sort of like, <sighs> and then come back to it. Um, but at the same time, I will say, you guys talk a lot on this show about how misery porn is a genre of young adult lit, uh, especially when it comes to like queer narratives. And I didn't feel like this was that. So that was nice. Like I think that it did a... It did a good job of balancing that, and that was appreciated for me when I didn't know that there was going to be anything dramatic in it when I first picked it up. Like, I, I was glad that it I didn't pick it up, and then all of a sudden I was reading something really depressing, you know? Absolutely. I think that the fact uh, that everything is introduced so progressively, it's sort of like a little bit of a dreamscape where it's like, oh, and then this happened, and then like, oh, no, let's not talk about that, and then we come back to it, and then go a little bit further it almost felt like therapy uh for max yeah which was was quite interesting yeah and i I think that that is a really that's a really apt comparison i think because like the the sort of way that these two characters that max and jordan interact with each other is very much that they are gradually building their relationship right where they first meet and it's like okay like we have some assumptions about each other on the surface whatever we're going to work together now and we get to see them gradually you know breaking down that first wall of talking to each other at all and then very gradually starting to realize that they like each other and then gradually starting to realize that they like like things about each other as opposed to just being attracted to each other and learning that they're both creative people and create in different ways and seeing that kind of come out in each other and this very very gradual build to them I'm trying to decide what phrasing to use getting together <laughs> like the, Ooh, the... Um, making an omelet um Ooh, wait yeah. no let's let's try to find a good um fingering Folding the focaccia in... Oh, why would you go there? I was going to say folding in the cheese. <laughs> yeah, the the very gradual, you know, combining of the ingredients as they realize that they're into each other and 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 finally kiss. I think they did such a good job of giving it to us bit by bit. And as they're giving it to us bit by bit, we're also seeing them each unpack a little bit more bit by bit, but then still hit those walls, right? Where, especially with Max, you know, the more he kind of has these moments where he's brought back to his traumatic event and starts thinking through it again, starts talking through it with himself, and then shakes it off and goes like, we're moving past that, like, that didn't happen, or like, that's not what that was. And to see the way that that very gradually, as they build comfort with each other, they also start to become more open about themselves. I thought was really, really, uh, it was the nice. ability for them to be emotionally vulnerable with one another as someone who struggles with emotional vulnerability was very impressive. Like I was like, okay, these guys are not afraid of jumping in and being like, here's my stuff. And then they're like, Oh, wait, we have hit a boundary. Um, I'm taking a step back. Let's, uh, let's go hit some baseballs or something, you know, like it's, it's, yeah. It's very sweet, uh, and I'm glad that that element was there to at least um, liven up, I guess, uh, brighten up uh, the story, which otherwise would have been uh, very depressing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Tom, Mm -hmm. it is food week, and I would be remiss if we did not 
um, talk about food in this story. Um, so, so Jordan's dad in the story, uh, before he passes away, he owns a food truck called <laughs> Coco Vinny, uh, which makes me laugh uh, because I'm 12. Um, but... <laughs> And, um, you know, Jordan takes over and, and there's a lot of cooking and there is a lot of there are a lot of cloud eggs in this story. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about cloud eggs because mm-hmm. eggs are fantastic food if you eat them. Yeah. And I know that you enjoy eggs. Am I not I, correct? I do. Now, I've never had a cloud egg. And to be honest, when they were describing it to me, I was not super into it. Uh, me neither. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I think like to me this sounds like dangerously close to like meringue territory, but savory, and I don't really like meringues. I don't. They're too eggy for me most of the time, but in an unpleasant mm. way. Whereas like I could eat like a hard boiled egg that is literally just egg, and that's not too eggy for me. There is something about like the whipped egg white into a peak kind of yeah it's not my thing i don't know yeah for me it's the foaminess of the egg whites uh, mm. i grew up uh, uh, in a family that loved making floating islands which is basically like a sabayon with um steamed uh i guess steamed egg whites that have been uh, beaten into stiff peaks and mm-hmm. Like that texture, like as a child, I was always like, give me the sabayon, give me the sweet, flavorful, <laughs> custardy goodness. I don't want to eat foam. I think that's my problem <laughs> with cloud eggs is that the, the white part feels like foam. And then right. there's such a risk because, okay, so dear listeners, here's how you make a cloud egg. You beat egg whites senseless until they form stiff peaks then you whip you mix in some parm some seasonings whatever you want to put in there then you put it on a baking tray and you make sort of this little cloud like shape and then you take an egg yolk and you kind of just plop it in there and you bake it until the white is like a little well you can bake the egg white first and then you add the egg yolk and then you just bake it so the egg yolk isn't raw because well unless you are uh picking your eggs uh fresh from the day um you know there's some salmonella issues that could surface i guess yeah i don't know um so uh, yeah so like the the foamy like i think it's just as a kid i was always fascinated by like dish soap foam and like you know, I was very much a fan of like, okay, fill the sink with water to do the dishes and then like add some soap and then make some foam. And as the foam clouds would rise, like seriously, if there was a little poof of like soap foam flying in the air, I totally like have tried to eat it more than once probably. (laughs) And it reminds me of that, like the concept of cloud eggs reminds me of that texture, which is just like foam that you're chewing. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's it. And, and and honestly, the comparison to dish soap, I think, is really appropriate because, like, for me, like the the whipped stiff egg white thing, like, reminds me the most of like lemon meringue pie. And honestly, I do like it's it's the com. I don't like lemon curd either, so it's the combination of of you know meringue and lemon curd 
combined tastes just like a soap to me and I'm like I can't it's, it's this texture is not great and the, the soapiness of it I just yeah and so like when here's a gripe with this book so I'm, I'm gonna say now like I liked this book a lot I, I by wow. the end of this book I was like this was really great if they made a movie I would watch it like I, I have warm feelings toward this book I did not have warm feelings toward the first hundred pages of this book um, and a large part of that is that they didn't cook food on the truck for the first hundred pages of this book that is a food truck love story i know i was like i was waiting you know they they in the first chapter they sort of fail at making some food for max right and that's the sort of meat cute um and then we don't see any cooking until a hundred pages in and i'm like what is what is taking you so long and then when we do see cooking it's yucky egg (laughs) and i was so upset I get that. I um I was also uh there there were a couple of parts where I skimmed forward kind of being like are we getting to the food porn part? I think I was expect <laughs> like I don't know I, I expect queer love to be full of brunches and like sure. and like don't get me wrong, I know I'm bougie. I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> for my privilege to be able to say that I'm bougie. Um but <sighs> I just wanted them to like I think I had a desire for like a scene like have you seen the? Well, of course you've seen the movie uh, Chef with John Favreau. I have not, in fact. Oh, there's a scene in a food truck where they make a Cubano sandwich. Isn't um, that the whole movie? Yes, Isn't basically. It just John Favreau uh, driving around making Cubanos. Fine, be <laughs> that way. Um, but there's like the montage when they like have just cleaned out the truck and it's beautiful mm. and it's like ready to be used and like at the level of chefs and this and that. And then they make a Cubano, and I was like. I remember watching that movie and just like being extra hungry and Mm. (laughs) wanting to stuff my face full of bread, ham, egg, and pickles. But I didn't get that from this. And I was sad. I I definitely got the sense that maybe this was not a book about food as much as we had hoped it would be, you know, where I get, I get, I consume a ton of food media, right? I am a food podcaster. I am going to school this fall to study history with an eye toward food history specifically. I am a big food media junkie. And I didn't, I went into this expecting, you know, the kind of book that makes you hungry as you're reading it, where they describe food in ways that that are enticing, right? Where you're like, oh yeah, I do want to eat that. And the closest I got with that was when they were driving around to all the different 7-Elevens trying different, you know, slushy drinks. And that's not a good sign when the closest you get in your book that is ostensibly set around food to food porn is describing a product that's sold at a gas station. Youch. Um... Youch. I think uh, you are uh, very correct on that. Um, I think the food, I think that's, but you're hitting on something that's so true, right? And I think it's okay. Um, it's okay for us to be slightly disappointed in that sense. Like, I mean, obviously, we jumped into this book going like, sweet, a book on food. Yeah. Um, because I think all of us at the podcast quite enjoy food. And um, well, it's a good story. It's a really good story with great characters and, and, and all of that. But the food was definitely lacking. Yeah. Um, so I thought that we should uh, maybe uh, explore what would you sell on a food truck, Tom? Yeah. If you had your own food truck, what would it be? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting question. And, and actually, 
a final thought on the disappointingness the disappointment oh, no. of the of the food truck food in this is that maybe maybe the food in this being disappointing is a brilliant analogy for food trucks because most of the time food truck food is not as delicious and glamorous as it seems on tv tv shows just highlight the good ones right like i have not ever had the experience of going to a food truck and getting something so incredible that i had to post about it on instagram i just haven't and so i think that maybe maybe bill konigsberg was doing something meta there and and making the food truck food disappointing. <laughs> wow, Tom, you just blasted my like let's dream up food truck idea because you are correct. I actually don't know that I've had a a marvelous food truck experience. Yeah. Ever. That, no, actually that... that's not true. I take that back. Mm-hmm. Brome Fair. Um sure. and it but it, it, it was a county fair. So sure. it was like deep Oh, that's carnival stuff. food. That's like, carnival yeah. food. That's different. So it doesn't necessarily fit, but it was sold out of a food truck, but it was carnival. It was like yeah, battered no. and deep fried and it was very good. And like, I probably had incredible indigestion afterwards, but. Um, <laughs> that's a different you know, thing. Carnival good. food and food truck food are different things. I stand by that. But I think that, um, I, I mean, I have, I have been very fortunate and have uh, been fed uh, by you. And uh, I know that you know how to cook. Um, yes. And anyone who will go, uh, please check out Tom's Instagram. Listen, they post good food photos mm-hmm. and it makes me hungry most times. <laughs> um, but like if we were to dream and like mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. there was a food truck that existed uh, with a full kitchen, full kitchen staff, and you can make whatever you want <laughs> and it would be exceptional. It's a very large um, food truck. Listen, it's... <laughs> It's basically a, f- a food truck convoy. Like food it's bus. like a con. A, a, thank you. <gasps> uh, let's let's do this. Yeah, I have thought about this before, and and I will say like uh, that was a generalization. Obviously, there are good food trucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just gonna say that. I we think just haven't food- eaten at them because they're yeah. expensive. Well, that's it. And I think that the thing about the like food truck and like street food experience is that you want something that isn't hype, right? Like I don't. When I walk up to a food truck and I'm like, oh, wow, you guys do like a crazy fusion dish. That's going to be cool and great. And I'm buying it off a truck. This is novelty. If you buy that, you're going to be disappointed or you're going to be like, yeah, that was pretty good, but maybe not worth $18. The trick with a good food truck is that it has to do a staple really, really well and maybe have like creative spins on the staple, right? I'm talking burgers. I'm talking grilled cheese. I'm talking chicken and waffles. I'm talking anything that is like you walk up to the truck and you know what it is when you look at it. I think that's where food trucks can shine because you just Uh need to do something simple. I also don't think that cloud eggs could handle the like temperature that they were describing that truck being. I think that that would be a disgusting egg to hand someone by the time that it like got from someone is getting food poisoning. 100%. It's just so hot. Like they just, the whole book there, like Arizona feels like I'm walking in on the surface of the sun at midnight. Ha ha ha. And also our truck is too hot. And I'm like, then why are you serving eggs? Um, Anyway. Reasonable question. Reasonable. <laughs> to come back to your question, uh, like 10 minutes later, I'm so sorry. No. <laughs> I think if I were doing a food truck, I would want to do something like ooh, either like a chili kind of situation where you can put chili on different things or like a grilled cheese sandwich kind of situation. Because I think that sandwiches and like soup slash stew kind of things play really well with 
food trucks uh-huh. in a way that like you don't want to have to use a fork and knife you know honestly if something even soup might be too much maybe i'll take that back forget about soup and chili i want to do sandwiches i want to do different kinds of sandwiches i want to do nice grilled cheese sandwiches nice That's it. yeah nice how about you I would probably, um, so this is interesting because um, I have two possibilities. One is a soup food truck. Okay, um, okay. But um, soup uh, so, sold in like a one liter format. Um, that Ooh, way it's okay. not like just like grab the soup and stand outside of a truck eating soup because that just feels awkward. Um, yeah. But more like a pick up soup and then uh, go have lunch uh, with someone that you enjoy or by yourself somewhere quiet with mm. an actual bowl. Um, um, yeah, um, there is a beautiful uh, cafe in the place where you live that uh, does something similar and uh, they make perfect soup and I love them. Who's that? Um, cafe 92. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make perfect soup. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I used yeah, to work. I, I used to work next door to them and I would get their coffee and their sandwiches all the time, but I never bought their soup. Oh, God, it's so good. If ever uh, you stop by at some point and see a black bean soup, jump on it. That, mm-hmm. It's just so good. It is, it's it's like a party in my mouth. It's magnificent. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so it would be a soup truck or mm-hmm. um, it would have to involve like a trailer with a grill. Um, I'm a okay. big fan of a drumstick situation. Okay. Um, so a nice lollipop drumstick uh, of like chicken duck wings like turkey legs i'm so jealous that in uh when i see like carnival photos from the u.s like people are eating full-on smoked turkey legs and then uh, i'm very ron swanson at times and totally (laughs) want one wrapped in bacon Uh, i would like a meat tornado um i'm sorry for the vegans listening I will make you a drumstick out of broccoli. It will be scrumptrulescent. Yes, I invented a word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like drumsticks. I think uh, there's something really primal about just holding a thing and then just gnawing at it. It, it yeah. brings me infinite pleasure. Totally. And, and that's the thing that I think you want with a food truck, right? Like you, I, I actually, I really like the idea of a food truck that sells like functionally groceries kind of soup right where you like I, I think that idea of like repurposing the food truck to be a place people can go to buy something to eat later I think is really smart but for the food truck in terms of like you know go to the food truck to get your lunch kind mm-hmm. of situation I do think yeah like a grab and go one hand put it in your mouth kind of situation is exactly what you want and oh god yeah Comes Smoke with wet, wet wipes, yes. Yeah, and then uh, you have like a once a once a summer special of uh, ribs because sure I like ribs. Yeah, I've definitely thought like, were I to lose my mind and decide that it's a good idea for me to open up some kind of like food selling business, uh, I think like a thought that I've had is that it would be really fun to do a cafe that also does like charcoal grill barbecue, where mm. like. You know, it's like a nice little cafe with like a little like terrace area so that you can eat inside or outside. And all of the food in the cafe uses barbecued meat. So you have one person whose job is to stay at the grills, plural, probably all day grilling (laughs) all year. Uh, And you can order from the grill like to go and be like, can I get, you know, 
a burger and it's like yeah man I've got a burger station at my grill why not but then also you know maybe there's like a rack of ribs smoking at any given time and if you get there at the right time you can have that or like maybe you know whatever's left over from the grill at the end of the day gets repurposed into breakfast sandwiches the next day or like thrown together to make like a hash or like a soup or something and then that gets sold by the cafe as well I think that that's my like dream is to do like a barbecue cafe that just sounds like heaven I would be there all the time uh I would never leave I would basically have a bed under your cash register I'd be like I'm just I'll wake up and eat some more meat Uh, would you (laughs) would you like to invest three hundred thousand dollars in this idea Cool, cool, cool. So I have about three balls of lint in my pocket. Yeah, um, I feel that. I feel that. But hey, um, maybe <laughs> folks will want to contribute to to Patreon, and uh, we can get this going. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that also sounds like a. It sounds like Austin, Texas, like in its mm. height, like pre gentrification, as it was the Bohemian hoo ha spot. You know, <laughs> sure. like. I don't know. I feel like that uh, what you just described sounds like everything I've ever heard about that city. Um, so I hope that it comes true. And I deeply, deeply am now hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're going to wrap soon. I think we'd be uh-huh. remiss if we don't talk about the other teenagers in this book and how those friendships were wonderful. Oh, yeah. Friends. You are <laughs> correct. We should talk like- about... Epic side characters. There are yeah. epic side characters in this story. Yes. Like they don't feel they don't they didn't feel like they were as important to talk about as the parents and as the relationship. But I think that they were so so well handled in that we get to see these like tight knit little groups of friends that, you know, have their issues but also have their like clear affection for each other. And then when they merge, we get to see them merge in a way that like really, really works and is really beautiful. And like <laughs> There was this moment for me where I teared up. Uh, And this was this moment where after setting up, you know, Max's bro friends from the baseball team as like, you know, guys that he is close with and like they have like a, a, a close intimate friendship, but they don't necessarily talk about their feelings that much. Um, where this whole book, we've been seeing them that way. And then they're at the state fair and Max is drawing something on the ground while Jordan reads a poem out loud, which like, God, that that whole scene made me really uncomfortable because Uh I would not want to be there. (laughs) Um, But it was cute. Um, But then Max, as he's drawing, looks up and makes eye contact with his friend Betts. And he says that he feels like they are seeing each other for the first time in that moment. That was beautiful for me because it was this moment of like, oh, you have never just, like, opened up to your pal and been like, hey, this is a thing I really love and shared that with them. And seeing him be vulnerable like that and show it to him, show it to his buddy, and then for his buddy to see him and clearly, like, Max sees something in Betts's eyes that tells him that Betts gets it. I thought that was just so nice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love that, like, we got that after all of this time of, you know, both of Jordan and Max realizing through the way that they're building their relationship with each other, that they're not totally satisfied in their relationships with their smaller friend groups. Mm-hmm. And then addressing that with those, you know, with Betts and Zayrod and with Pam and... Kyle I love that you took so many notes, Tom. I'm real proud of you. This is awesome. I don't remember the I don't remember the white girl's name. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to call her Kelsey. Uh, but like seeing the the like the way that they both are like, hey, actually, 
I don't love this or like hey here is a thing that I'm struggling with like can we talk about this seeing them like actually open up to their friends and seeing their friends be like oh shit like yeah let's let's actually have a meaningful conversation here for once I just I think that's so important to see in books aimed at teenagers because like I remember when I was in high school having conversations like that I remember those moments of like hey, let's like break down this barrier that we've like put up for no reason where we don't talk about serious things and talk about serious things for a minute. And those were some of the best moments. And like the people that I had those moments with are the people I still talk to, you know? And I think that there's something really important about seeing that like represented in a way that's like not shoehorned either. Like it doesn't always have to be that we did the school musical together. And as a result, we know about each other's (laughs) trauma. Sometimes it can just be like, hey, can we pause NFL 2010 or whatever and like let me tell you about this thing that's bothering me like sure okay let's let's take a minute and like actually be people uh it's good it's good i like it it's good. i i get it i get it. it it really is quite nice i think the challenge for me is that i found it i find that i found that to be more interesting for adult readers because i feel like mm. this is almost an autumn like a an automatic reflex for young folks, right? Because there's this like, there's this distance from authority. There's this distance from adults. Y- you need people to relate to and you're looking for a sense of normalcy, mm-hmm. you know, in quotation marks. And then as adults, we forget. And I think that we take our friendships for granted uh, because I think pop culture also t- teaches us that um, our friendships as we get older are less important I think, uh, you know, Sex in the City showed us very well. You go out to brunch with your friends once a week and, like, you know, everybody takes a turn uh, expressing their issues uh, with some person who owns a penis and that's it. Um, whereas, right. you know, we forget that that friendship as adults is crucial. We place a lot on our partners. We place a lot on our kids and families and stuff like that. But But I think that as adults, it's important for us to look back on those moments and have those, like you know, like light bulb turning on moments <laughs> that remind us that like, oh yeah, hey, maybe we should, like, I miss being like having a sleepover with some friends and just like literally like putting makeup on one another and gushing about how beautiful one another is. And that's something that's no longer appropriate as adult, well, seen as appropriate. Cause I'm not going to say that I don't do that. I totally I was going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's I think it's something that we need to be reminded of. It's mm-hmm. either that or I've had my depression goggles on for too long and it just kind of brought me back uh, a little bit. I do feel like there's a there's also probably like a non-zero amount of that that longing that is, you know, pandemic isolation based. But but yes, like I, I think you're not wrong that like generally speaking, you don't have those kind of like adult friendships just don't look like teenage friendships most of the time and that's that can be a bummer but it's also something that you can like you know make happen sometimes I don't know like my my guy friends that I like grew up with and I'm still in a group chat with and you know we're celebrating our 21st anniversary of knowing each other this year like that sort of gang that I'm pals with like we still have those those times when we're like, hey, like, let's get pizza or whatever. Obviously not during the pandemic because it's been, you know, difficult to do that. Um, but like, you know, we'll have those times where it's like, oh, let's like hop on a call and do a video game or like, let's, you know, talk shit about music or whatever. Like there's there's ways to still 
harken back to that a little bit and like let that lightness be there. Yes. Oh my gosh. What a beautiful note to end on. Yes. Let's <laughs> let our lightness be there with our groups of friends. I think that's so important. I love that. Also, old school friend group chats, the best. Oh yeah. The oh best. yeah. Um, Tom, thank you so much for um, being here. You yeah. are a delight of a human and editor. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I, uh, I had not read a full book in years prior to this, so it was really uh-huh. nice to, you know, given that I'm going back to school this fall, I've been challenging myself to read more over the summer just so that it doesn't totally, you know, kick my butt. And this was a really nice kind of gateway into that. So thank you for having me. Anytime. Um, and dear listeners, thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave us feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at the yeahpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yeah podcast. And individually, I'm at caddy double underscore D. And Tom, you are? I am at Tom Zalatni on all platforms. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, who knows, maybe a food truck. Uh, head to <laughs> patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Give Shoutouts. us $300,000. Just so we can have a barbecue cafe. Shout <laughs> out to our so patrons. so much to ask? <laughs> Shout out to our patron... Our patrons, Catherine Rishi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron. It's only have- like 30000 from each of you. Come on. I mean, um, our current patrons are already doing the most. Let's maybe <laughs> get some new patrons, perhaps someone who would like to patron us at a rate of $300,000 a month a year <laughs> I mean I'll take it listen I'll take it I'll quit my job it'll be great uh, we have merch click the hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks <laughs> over at Tee Public and you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts subscribing on Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend I don't know what kind of friend. Maybe not your most food-loving friend. This is not the biggest <laughs> food book, but maybe your friends who are really invested in um, parent-child relationships and awesome mm. parents. Let's put it that share way. this. Share this episode with someone you want to smooch on a truck. Hey, now I'm into it. Uh, or someone who also uh, does not like the idea of foamy eggs. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, special things. Yeah. <laughs> Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. And then finally, this episode was produced by me, Caddy Diop, and edited by our fabulous guest, Tom Zalatni. (laughs) As part part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, I'm October Jones. Hi, and this I'm is Fish with Legs. I'm a fish, fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water. And I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs. Starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. 
October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends and go on adventures and get captured a lot and escape a lot and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends and authoritarianism and colonialism and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish with Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. <laughs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of the No Bad Food Podcast, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or right here on the Upford Network. 